Stand clear of the closing doors, please. This is the Kleidocast. Hello, Brooklyn. Welcome to another riveting episode of Where in the World is My Co-Host Allison? We've got one hellacious storm brewing outside the studio. I bet she's having some commuting troubles. Since I've got the airwaves at my disposal, I'd like to take this opportunity to promote Kaleidocast's new online game show, where authors compete to see whose high fantasy epic makes the most effective doorstop. Visit twitch.tv. I'm here. I'm here. We can start. I made it. Allison, we're already rolling. Good. Uh, There's no time to waste. We're on a deadline for the season. I appreciate your dedication, but you can take a minute to dry off. No. After this morning's meeting with immigration, I can't risk losing my job, and Kaleidocast is sunk without our on-time completion bonus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Immigration? Allison, what are you talking about? I thought you were just caught in a storm. Not me. My uncle's spell... He never showed up to the government hearing he was summoned to after missing too many check-in calls. Since when do you have a mysterious uncle from another country? What is this, DuckTales? I didn't know him growing up. He reached out right after we wrapped production on last year's season. Uh, He said he wanted to open a university. He's a professor? Something like that. But immigration's been hellish. I put up my house as collateral just to get him through processing. If he doesn't show up to assume his citizenship debt, I could lose my home. So that's why you've been micromanaging so much. And here, I thought you just had kind of an annoying personality. Thanks. I feel so much closer to you now. Allie, I'm sorry. I didn't know the podcast was so important to you. But what if something happened to your uncle? Should we be out looking for him or something? It's something to worry about tomorrow, Veronica. The show must go on, please. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy Kaleidocast's next story, The Only Living Cabbie in New York by Jason A. Smith. (sighs) Thank you. Actually, I do feel closer to you now. Aw, me too. But you're dripping on the equipment. Maybe a little too close? The Only Living Cabbie in New York by Jason A. Smith The hurricane had arrived. Winds ravaged Queens. Floods slithered through Brooklyn. Storm surges leapt across Staten Island Hills. Yet in Manhattan, a towering seawall and silver dome shielded the island from the Category 9. Between Wall Street and Yankee Stadium, no one wore coats. No one held umbrellas, and since it was Friday night, everyone was drunk. Out of the bustle of 6th Avenue, a man emerged with pipe-thin arms and a face barely out of college. Can I bum one? he said. Sarah had been leaning against a building with a pinky-sized arrow pressed to her lips. She thumbed a button on the little stick and took a drag of nicotine and creme brulee. Smoke slid from her teeth as she sized up the college boy. Forty bucks, she said. The guy chuckled, but fell silent as Sarah stared at him, stone-faced. I, I don't have forty bucks, he said. She smiled. I'm just fucking with you. Then she handed him an arrow. He thanked her and flicked the tip of the stick, turning its end red hot. He took a drag. You live here? He said, pointing at the building behind them. Sarah shrugged. Work late. Damn. How far you gotta go? Brooklyn. His eyes widened. Jesus, Brooklyn. Tonight? How you getting there? Aren't the trains shut down? Sarah nodded at dozens of spherical autonomous taxis rumbling down 6th Avenue. Gonna take a dot, she said. Ah, the guy replied. I haven't done that yet. They freak me out how they just roll around without wheels. We don't have them down in Atlanta. That where you from? He nodded. Just moved. Then he pointed up at the weather shield above. I still can't believe y'all don't feel hurricanes here. We only have seawalls back at home. Sarah nodded. Yeah, well, 
We don't even have a seawall in Brooklyn. She puffed out smoke and they watched the little cloud twist in the air. I don't tell anyone I'm from there. People at work with, at least. I feel that, the college boy said. I don't tell a lot of people I'm from Georgia. Sarah turned to him, really seeing him now for the first time. They give you that stupid look, right, when you tell them? What, he said. This? His face went long, his lower lip puffed out, his shoulders hunched theatrically. Sarah laughed. That! Yeah! And with the nagging voice, she said, I'm so sorry for you. That must be so hard. He chuckled. I think you're the first person I've met who didn't grow up under this dome. No one gets it. Suddenly, Sarah's watch buzzed. Shit, my ride's here. She snapped her arrow in half and tossed it into the breeze, where it disintegrated and vanished. Nice talking to you, Atlanta. He gave her a salute and said, Thanks for the smoke, Brooklyn. Stay dry out there. She smiled at him, then shoved her way through the crowded sidewalk. Bodies cloaked in colorful pastels pressed against her. They howled in her ear. Their jewelry blinded her. She stumbled out of the clamorous throng onto a curb lined with trash bags and old furniture. Beyond her, dozens of dots rolled by in a synchronous rumble. They had always looked like billiard balls to Sarah, with their circular door always facing forward while the rest of the vehicle spun around it. Occasionally, one would veer off the road to stop at a nearby sidewalk. A steel ramp extended from it like a tongue, then a horde of twenty-somethings rushed onto the street. Within moments, another group rushed back into the ball, and the ball rolled on. Sarah watched this dance for at least five minutes, yet no spheres stopped for her. Then a voice called out, You need a ride or what? Sarah turned and found parked beside her, not a glossy, sleek sphere, but an ancient, rectangular machine that she had been regarding as trash. Its four yellow doors were rusted at the edges. Gray wheels sagged under dented metal. Cracks splintered along every window, and a sign on the roof flickered an ad for a movie released 40 years ago. A man inside the machine with rich black skin and graying hair studied the puzzled look on Sarah's face. Check your watch he said through an open window. Sarah swiped at her bracelet. It reassured her that this hunk of metal was, in fact, her ride home. There was even a picture of the cab in front of a big green tree with the driver standing beside it. She leaned down to level with the man. Hi, she said. You Sarah? He replied. I am, but sorry. Is this a dot? Nope, he said. It's a car, and I'm your driver. Sarah's eyes narrowed. I thought only cops drove. You're not a cop, are you? He laughed. If I was a cop, I'd be retired already. On the seat beside him was a tray overflowing with cigarette butts, a wooden cross, and a piece of cardboard in the shape of an evergreen tree swung on the rearview mirror. Behind him, was a grimy seat cloaked in darkness. Sarah shook her head and said, Sorry, I think I'll just wait for a dot. Thanks, though. Suit yourself, the man said. But you won't get one for a while. And if you're leaving Manhattan tonight, you should hurry, because this storm's getting worse. Sarah glanced up at the dome that enshrouded the island. It was impossible to tell that a hurricane was just beyond its shimmering scales, raging and spitting. She checked the cue on her watch for the next available dot, but found the wait was three hours. She huffed and bent down to the car again. You know Bay Ridge, she said. I know everywhere, he replied. Sarah sighed and turned to the cab's rusted back door. She waved at a handle, waited a moment, then waved again. It's not opening, she said. You got to pull on it. Pull? On the handle. 
She slid four fingers under the hard plastic, then pulled and the door popped open. As she crawled into the back seat, her knees slapped against plexiglass, which divided driver and passenger. Competing aromas of tobacco and mint choked the air. She shut the door and the man pulled an unseen lever with a pop. The car lurched forward, joining the spheres on the road. The driver placed a cigarette in his mouth. You mind? he said. Sarah shook her head, though it was the first time she'd ever seen someone smoke real tobacco. He lit the cigarette. It smelled terrible. Hey, can I ask you something? the man said. Sure, Sarah replied. You're a citizen? Like American? Yeah, I am. I'm studying for the test. The test? To be a citizen. Oh, Sarah said. Got it. Can you quiz me while we drive? The man slid open a small door in the plexiglass and a stale gust of smoke spilled over Sarah. He placed a tablet in her hand with a screen awash in red, white, and blue colors. The words, Official United States Citizenship Test Prep, pulsed on the screen. Ask me anything, he said. Sarah poked the screen and the colors morphed into a boring white page with one question in black lettering. She cleared her throat and said, Okay, we elect a U.S. representative for how many years? Ah, the man said. I know that. Two years. Easy. Sarah swiped at the screen, revealing the same answer. Yep, she replied. Hit me again, the driver said. Something harder. She swiped at the screen once more and glanced through questions like, who does a U.S. senator represent? Or, name the three requirements for universal basic income. Or, what are the four primary political parties in the U.S.? All simple enough, she figured. Then, a question made her pause. All right, she said. Which statement describes the rule of law? Actually, one sec, the man replied, distracted. Beyond the car's windshield. The road had spread into a ten-lane highway littered with spheres gliding erratically between white lines. You okay? She said. That's a lot of dots. Oh, uh, yeah, the driver said, stamping out his cigarette. Just Friday night traffic. Hit me with that question. Helps me focus. Sarah nodded and returned to the tablet. Okay, she said. What's the rule of law? Is it the law is what the president says it is, or the people who enforce the laws do not have to follow them, or no one is above the law, or judges can rewrite laws they disagree with. What was the second one? The driver said as his head scanned left and right, watching the boulder-like cars race around them. Sarah skinned through the choices again and said, The people who enforce the laws do not have to follow them. The man laughed. That's the real answer, you know. Sarah chuckled awkwardly as the car sped up, then slowed, sped up, then slowed. The man continued. But I know what they want me to say. No one is above the law. Yep, Sarah said, surprising herself with her excitement. And I'm with you. Politicians feel like they can do whatever they... Suddenly, the driver shouted as a dot swerved in front of them, nearly crushing the hood. He jerked at the steering wheel. The car fishtailed and screeched. Sarah clutched at a strap above her as the tablet tumbled to the floor. Another sphere shifted lanes behind them, missing them by inches. The driver slammed on the gas, and Sarah sank into her seat. The taxis were twice as tall as their little car, and Sarah realized that any one of them could crush the cab like a steamroller. The driver swerved around another sphere and found an empty pocket with ample distance between them and the giant billiard balls. Sorry, he said. They talk to each other, you know. They see each other, but they don't see me sometimes. 
You think they make them so they could do that, so they see you better. Totally, Sarah said, rattled. Hey, the man said, now sinking back into his seat. Can I ask you something? Sure. How old are you? That's a weird question. How old are you? The man laughed. Sixty-six. Whoa. I would have guessed fifty, max. He laughed again. You got kids? Nope. A husband? Nope. Wife? Sarah shook her head. The driver whistled. Lucky you. Sarah shrugged. I guess. My kids don't have anyone either, he said. They say they're too busy. Hey, your folks live in Brooklyn? I figure you're from there. Yeah, Sarah said. Grandparents too. That's nice, the cabbie said. Nice to see people still there. My kids are in Manhattan now. I hardly see them. He slipped another cigarette into his mouth but didn't ask for permission this time as smoke wafted through the car. After a few silent drags, they left the highway. Downtown Manhattan sidewalks were empty as they neared the southern exit of the sea wall. Sarah craned her neck to catch a glimpse of the massive structure. She'd never seen it this close before. Black steel towered higher than any skyscraper, upwards to the glistening storm dome. Rodent traps, caked in blood and fur, crisscrossed through gutters. Spotlights from drones beamed along the wall, watchful of illegal crossings into the shining city. The whole area screamed apocalyptic, as if saying, here you are at the end of the world. They stopped at a small toll booth at the base of the wall. Brown liquid dripped from its roof. Cold light beamed from cracked windows. Inside was an old man with a gray beard and a thin white skull cap. Behind the toll booth, dozens of dots rumbled into their own private tunnel where they disappeared. Sarah's driver rolled his window down as the toll man leaned from his booth. You're out late, the old man said. Picked up a stray last minute, the cabbie replied. Headed to Bay Ridge. Bay Ridge? You know there's a hurricane. Drove through a niner last year, the driver shrugged. It's fine. Well, the bridge is swaying from all the wind, so just be careful. Always looking out. He handed the old man a plastic card, who then slipped back into his booth. That's Adnan, the cabbie said to Sarah. Been working this booth since the wall was built. Good guy long time she replied distracted by a wailing sound emanating from a steel door cast into the sea wall ahead the old man returned to the toll booth's window and said you know gabriel's gone he handed the driver his card really the cabbie replied the toll man shook his head they sent him back to cuba just like that you hear from his husband haven't yet. Then his face went long. Don't take the test. They rig it. It's not worth it. The driver sighed. I'll be fine. Been studying for God knows how long. He pointed back at Sarah. She's helping me tonight too. Hitting me with the hard ones. Adnan frowned. Well, just be careful tonight, okay? A lot of flooding out there. Thanks, buddy, the cabbie said. Don't let him work you too hard. The toll man smiled and shut the booth's window. A deafening hammer slam echoed around them, shaking the car and startling Sarah enough to jump in her seat. That's just the seawall door unlocking, the driver said, lighting a new cigarette. Been rusted for years. The enormous steel door rumbled to life, revealing a blinding torrent of rain beyond. The faint wailing Sarah had heard now howled through the doorway like a rocket's engine. The cab shook as they crossed through the opening. Just a little wind, the driver said as his hands wrestled the wheel. Rain pounded against the windows. There was no asphalt below, only metal grates that droned against the tires. Sarah gripped the strap above her again and turned to watch 
the sea wall shut behind them. Did I tell you I'm the last cab driver? The man said as the wind pushed the car left and right. Oh, yeah, Sarah replied, distracted by the raging water spilling over the cab. Even growing up in Brooklyn, she never heard wind so loud. Yep, last taxi driver in New York. Been so for years, decades, actually. Really? Because the dots took all the jobs? That's what everyone thinks, he said as lightning struck the bridge. But really, it was cause of flooding. Actually, I'll tell you a story about it. It'll help me focus here. Sure, Sarah said. Whatever helps. She gripped the second strap on the ceiling. The groan of the bridge's suspension cables rattled Sarah's teeth as she listened to the man. So, I was there when the industry ended, if you can believe it. I worked at one of the last taxi companies in Brooklyn. Maybe 15 guys total there when I started, and that was big for New York back then. Every year we get more and more hurricanes, so more and more drivers quit. But these 15 or so held on. How long ago was this? Sarah yelled over the thrashing rain on the cab's roof. Oh, shit. Must have been 19, so over 40 years ago? Anyhow, I get to work one Monday, right? Bright summer day. Hot as a jungle out. I walk into the garage, but no one's there. I just see my boss sitting in a fold-out chair, surrounded by empty cabs. And listen, normally, at the start of shifts, it's loud in there. At least a handful of us complaining, yelling, smoking, whatever. But when I walk in that morning, it's quiet as a tomb. Real eerie. I see my boss sitting there in the dark, ashen on the concrete. And I ask him where everyone's at. Because I didn't follow the news back then. Never was my thing. Figured there might be a strike or something I missed. I ain't know anything. But he just looks up at me, and I'll never forget it. He looks at me with these dead eyes, smoke all around him, too. He looks me square in the face and says, You're all that's left, kid. He tells me the court said workers impacted by climate sway qualified for UBI now. Said it happened over the weekend. All the drivers quit and went on basic. Just like that. Damn, Sarah said, half listening. The rain was so strong outside that she couldn't see beyond the windows. The windshield wipers battled tirelessly against the thrush of water. Wind rattled the glass. Yet the cabbie just held his hands steady on the wheel, and smoked his cigarette, continuing his story. So I pull out a folding chair, too, he said. And I sit next to him because I figure if I left him there, he might just blow his brains out. I mean, the guy just lost everything, you know? I see men pop for less. So I ask him what he'll do with all the cars, and he says he'll sell them for parts. Sell the company, too. Sell his house as well. Move out the city. I'd never seen a man so sad. He couldn't even cry. You know, you have been so sad you couldn't cry. Sarah nodded as the car slid sideways. The cabbie jerked the wheel and leveled out. He took a drag from his cigarette. Words kind of sad, he said, shaking his head. But here's the thing. I handed him my keys because he owned the car. We all rented the cabs from him. And I wasn't qualified to get on basic since I'm not a citizen. And he knew that. But you know what he said? Sarah's stomach lurched as the car fishtailed. What? Keep them. The keys? The keys, the car, everything. No, I shit you not. He just pulled out his phone right there, drew up a document, and sold me the cab for a penny. A penny? Yep. And that's the car you're in now. I've had her for 40 years and still going. 
Sarah raised her voice over a particularly loud gust of wind. What happened to your boss, though? Did he sell everything? Yep. Scrapped the cars and sold the garage. Moved away just like he said he would. Never saw him again. Jesus, but how did everyone qualify for basic so fast? The hurricanes? Nope. Flooding, the driver replied. That's why I say the dots didn't kill the industry like everyone says they did. It was flooding that killed it. Bad city management, shitty mayors, stuff like that. The roads flooded so much you couldn't drive half the year in some places. So everyone quit once they qualified for basic. But like I said, New York ain't New York without cab. So they rolled out the dots once the industry died. The robots didn't kill us off. They just filled the void after we left. The car hit a bump and Sarah felt the familiar smooth rumble of asphalt beneath them. See? The cabbie said, back on solid ground. Though the rain still pounded against the cab, the wind had subsided as they drove between skyscrapers in downtown Brooklyn. All the street lamps flickered. Trees leaned horizontal. The sidewalks were empty. The only sign of life was a dot in the distance, dropping off a couple in the dark. Its ramp folded back into itself, and the vehicle rolled down a flooded street and into the water where it disappeared. Sarah turned to the cabbie who was stamping out a cigarette. Where do you park? She asked. All the dots are watertight, but this can't be. How do you not get flooded out? You know, I found the biggest hill in Brooklyn and parked on it, over by Greenwood Cemetery at the 20th Street entrance. No way. I swear, look up a video, actually. The Times made a piece about me years ago. It's called The Only Only Living Cabbie in New York. That's what it was. Kind of like that song, you know? Sarah reluctantly slid her hands from the straps and swiped at her watch, searching for the title. A video appeared at the top of the list. Its thumbnail was the same picture from earlier of the driver and his cab beside a big green tree. Oh, wow, Sarah said. You see it? Yeah. You see that picture with the tree? That tree's in the cemetery right where I parked. Amazing, Sarah said. You really do just park on a hill. I see it now. I got a lot of love when that video came out. He smiled and held up his hand, then rubbed his thumb against two fingers as if money were between them. Got a lot of new clients, too. I'm cheaper than dots, so people like that. Been driving some people around for decades, if you can believe it. Watched some of their kids grow up, too. He lit another cigarette. I've been real lucky. The car went silent for a while. In Gowanus, they drove under overpasses covered in rebar that snaked through cracked concrete. In Cobble Hill, every storefront was boarded up with plywood and every door was fortified with sandbags. No matter where they turned, there wasn't a soul on the road now, not even a dot. And once they were in Sunset Park, every road sported a pool of water. The car slowed as they turned a corner. The street beyond had transformed into a river. Trash, branches, and rodents, both alive and drowned, bobbed in the taxi's headlights. That looks bad, Sarah said. All the roads are like this out here, the driver replied. Just gotta go through it. After 4th Avenue, shouldn't be too bad. The car splashed into the rainwater. Sarah's heart raced as gurgling surrounded them. Outside, rats struggled to stay atop the water's surface. She gripped the strap above her, tighter than ever. Hey, the cabbie said. You still got that tablet? Hang on, she said. It fell. Sarah ran her hand along the cab's floor and found the carpeting to be damp. The floor is wet, she said. Water might leak a little through the doors. It's normal. 
She lifted the tablet from the floor and wiped water from its screen. A question in bold lettering awaited her. Okay, she said. This is kind of confusing, but it says you'd have to write the exact answer down if you were taking the test right now. Got it, the driver said. Hit me. His knuckles went white as the car struggled through water up to its headlights. However, Sarah figured he'd been doing this for so long that he wouldn't put them in danger. He was a professional, she thought. Her dad's age, even. Tons of experience. She turned back to the tablet. All right, she said. What did Susan B. Anthony do? And the answer has to be a complete sentence. But suddenly she felt a cold trickle on her feet and looked down to find water pooling on the floor. Oh, fuck, she cried. It's really coming in. Lift your feet up, the cabbie said. Just put them on the seat. It's fine. Seriously? Happens all the time. Just lift your feet. Sarah lifted her feet and extended her legs across the back seat. She leaned on the door and felt rats and branches thump against the taxi's metal frame. I think I know the answer, the driver said. She campaigned for women's rights. Uh, almost, Sarah replied. There's more, though. She glanced between the tablet and the outside. Brown froth splashed against the car. Broken basement windows collected trash and dead vermin. No lights were on in any of the homes. The entire street was dark. The cabbie said, how about she campaigned for women's rights and voting rights? No, wait, civil rights. The water in the cab had pooled several inches now. There's a lot of water back here, Sarah said. We'll be out of this soon, he replied unfazed. So is it civil rights? Sarah lifted the tablet, slightly reassured by how calm the driver still was. Yeah, she said, but she didn't campaign for them. What's another word? Argued? Close? Fought? Yes! Okay, but who fought for them? Susan B. Anthony. Yeah, Sarah said. So your answer has to be Susan B. Anthony fought for women's rights and civil rights. If you don't write that exactly, you get it wrong. Man, he said, that's rough. Yeah, Sarah shrugged. Honestly, it's dumb. It's that specific. It's almost like they want you to get it wrong or something. She then glanced down and found the water was quickly draining from the floor, leaving behind a frothy mess that squished when she brought her feet down. Should be smooth sailing to your home, the cabbie said. But you want to know something. What's that? I've been terrified to take this test all my life. Really? You're doing great, though. That last one was just bullshit. There's a lot like that one, though, he said. Specific answers and stuff. And they changed the questions all the time, too. I don't even know if I'll see these on the actual test. It might be totally different. Can't you retake it if you fail? The driver smiled at Sarah through the rearview mirror. I wish, but if I fail it even once, they'll ship my ass back to Haiti. That's what scares me. Sarah blinked. What? To Haiti? That's where I was born. Why would they send you back, though? It's just a test. They only do it to people from a few countries, but Haiti's one of them. Lucky me, huh? But when'd you come to the U.S.? When I was three, my mom brought me here. She never took the test either. Scared her to death. But you could come back, right? If they ship me away? No. They don't let anyone back. Not even to visit. How's that legal? Been legal a long time, but I'm old now, you know? I need to retire soon and get on basic, and only citizens get basic. So I gotta take that test. 
I just can't believe they can do that. The man chuckled. You have faith in me, huh? You know I haven't failed it yet. No, I know, Sarah said. I didn't mean it like that. I just can't wrap my head around it. Do you have family there at least? Nope. But I think about it like no matter what, I'll either retire here or I'll retire in Haiti. Maybe on a beach or something if I'm over there. Could be nice, right? Waves and sunsets and all that. The ocean. Yeah, Sarah said, watching the rain hammer down around them. I guess so. The cabbie lit a cigarette, smoked it bare, then lit another. Through the rest of Sunset Park, no light shone through windows. Doors leaned off their hinges. Nothing stirred, nothing breathed. And as they slipped along, it occurred to Sarah that she was witnessing something people rarely saw. The space between points A and B. Dots didn't have windows, so no one ever paid mind to the neighborhoods they drove through. Neighborhoods forgotten after a century of floods and wind. She'd heard of these places, sure, seen pictures, but to witness them now made her skin prickle. Her neck hair rise. There was a vulnerability to it all, she thought. All this emptiness, all this gray and dull and quiet. She considered asking the cabbie about the neighborhood, but he stays silent for the rest of the ride, mumbling to himself and smoking. Several inches of water had pooled on Sarah's street. Just outside her building, trash floated in the cab's dim headlights. The fare flashed on her wrist, much cheaper than a dot. She swiped at the numbers, approving them. There was no option for a tip. The cabbie turned to her and smiled as the wind shook the car. Thanks for quizzing me, he said. Hope the ride wasn't too bumpy. Sarah handed the man his tablet through the plexiglass window. What's your name? She said. Evans. Nice to meet you, Evans. And good luck with the test. You'll ace it. Evans laughed. Piece of cake. And hey, he slipped a square plastic card through the slot between them. Call me if you ever need a ride. You're in the club now. Sarah smiled and took the card, then shoved the cab's door open against a rush of wind. She jumped onto the sidewalk and shut the door. Evans waved goodbye. She waved back then watched the yellow cab swerve and splash away before it disappeared around a corner. She called him a few months later. He never picked up. Jason A. Smith is a Brooklyn-based science fiction author. His work can be seen in the fall 2022 issue of the Brooklyn-based zine, Open Book. He hopes that his publication in this season of the Kaleidocast marks the beginning of an ever-growing list of credits. Laurice White was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, and currently lives just outside the city. She has a bachelor's degree in theater. Thank you to everyone who participated in the 24-hour emergency fund drive for Allison's Surprise. Here she is. You're at the studio early, and what the heck is that? That is a gigantic gingerbread house. Gingerbread City, with a radio tower broadcasting your favorite literary podcast. We built this city for you, Allison. By we, I mean, I told Terry, and... Your wish was my command. Your final wish. But I merely went grocery shopping, and drew the blueprints, and erected the walls. Whose friend piped the frosting, which is the most important part. Listeners, you'll have to take my word for it that the tower is as tall as Allison. You're live-streaming this. What's the point if there's no video? The point is you. You've been under a lot of stress lately. So sit back and enjoy while Terry and I take you away to the Kaleidiverse, where cities of your imagination come to life. I'm allergic to ginger. Plus, I've sworn off marshmallows. Are you serious? Since when? Since Val told me marshmallows are made up of ground-up pig bones. 
I don't want a 20 foot wide culinary art piece. I just want to be with you, make our podcast together in the studio or even in Zoom uh, when you can't haul your butt over here. I'm sorry, this is a disaster. Wait, there's a message in the frosting. What message? Don't play dumb. I thought you'd forgotten my ginger allergy. But this isn't food. It's a puzzle, and you know I love puzzles. That's your present, isn't it? I have no idea what you're talking about. Fine. You want me to say it to your livestream audience of, what, three people? It says in Morse code, Uncle Spell is lost in... S-P-Q-X-C. The rest must be ciphertext. Wait, how do you know what happened to Uncle Spell? Is this some kind of sick joke? You're the one pulling my leg. I was just piping frosting. And it just happened to be dot dot dash dash dot yada yada, like you're the proverbial monkey at a typewriter? Wait, Terry, do you know anything about this? They disappeared. It must be Terry. Stay tuned, listeners, as we investigate this mystery... Or unravel Veronica's web of lies. In the meantime, enjoy I Built This City For You by Cassandra Kaw. I Built This City For You by Cassandra Kaw. Narrated by Wilson Fowley and Clover Fowley. Hello. Is this your city? No, no, we understand. It is not a city yet. It is merely embryonic, conceptual, an idea to which your bones are laced, the sinews that tether the tendons of your dreams. It is only a city in waiting, a city mid-birth, a city breathless, inexorable. But you desire a city, do you not? As much as you desire her to stay, that is why you contracted us. We will make it real. We cannot do anything less. The door oils shut, noiseless, save for a click like teeth welding shut. Arguments are for the cold of the London evening. Not mornings, threaded with the smog and commuters, faces already ragged with stillborn ambitions, the foghorn moans of cars in transit. You don't argue in the morning, not when you could have tangled under the duvets, your fingers twisted together. At least... I don't think. Rain silvers the maze of the side streets and footpaths as I race down to the subway, down long steps into the Jubilee, down into the belly of a train as it rides through the dark where I stop between a girl with acid jade hair and a man that stinks of long roads, pours steaming with memories of the Arizona desert. My phone display ignites. I look down. Three separate messages, ominous in their brevity their absence of sender. We are present. Who am I? We represent the company. Unlike the dime store, who will slice costs like wrists, we will not shortchange you. Unlike the corporation, we believe in a personal touch. We are the company, and we care. Cities are our meat, our breath, our marrow. We will do everything to make your city the best it can be. It smiles. It. Not she, not him, not them. It. The company representative is mannequin smooth, sterile as detention centers. Its face declares human, but only barely. Only because porcelain can't palpate meat or blink pale eyes, won't wet a lurid red mouth with a flick of a tongue too vibrantly pink to be real. The smile lengthens. I furl my hands into fists. The company always knows. Half-remembered warnings like worms in the back of my mind eating holes into my bravado. I hold my breath and try to staunch the thump of memories. What disconcerts most is how under that inhuman facade there's nothing but a visceral warmth, a kindliness that has no right residing in so cold a face. I shiver. Behind me, the subway exhales and voices swill together into a crowd of noises, indistinguishable from one another, like a breath rattling in an old man's chest. At least four trains have come and gone, disgorging their contents onto the lip of the platform, but not a soul has passed through here. How much will it cost me? It doesn't hesitate. 
There is no malice at all when it whispers. Everything. Everything. Everything you are. Everything you have been. Everything you could be. Every possibility and every truth. All of you. Every bit of is and is not constrained within the reality of you forever and ever. It will cost you everything. But it will be worth it, we promise. Give us everything, and in return, we will build for you a metropolis to rival London, to shame New York, to close the thousand coruscating eyes of Tokyo in defeat. We will make it jagged with skyscrapers, if you like, a hundred shards to perforate the sky, or charmingly rustic like the Portland of her childhood nostalgia, sunset-laced and sweet with foreign spices. Ask, and we will give it post-colonial architecture and clear streams, festoon it with food carts and festivals, with historic pubs and green parks crawling with sublime, slender bodies. Demand, and we will populate your city with your beloved dead, or make it splendid with people of potential. Make it into an immigrant paradise untethered to borrowed hate. Give you a crystalline cage to put your little sweet bird. Oh, yes, we know everything about you, Anissa. Everything for your everything. We How? Blood, rank as terror, wells on the cusp of a lip. I run my tongue over the taste, let iron drown the memory of its voice stroking my name. The company representative cups its smile like a frightened child. Pardon? I breathe, slow, long, and deep. How did you know? My city, how did you know I wanted wanted to make it for someone else? The words come staccato short. I didn't tell you anything you weren't supposed to know. A good business knows everything about its customers, replies the company representative, eyes and mouth round and hollow. It grins, fat with a rapture hollowed in cathedrals no human could ever walk. We can do anything you desire. You only need to pay. A snap of its wrist, a parchment longer than I am tall, unwraps from seemingly nothing, slithering across the concrete floor. I barely keep from jumping, look down instead. Words squirm over the paper, rearranging into a labyrinth of clauses. You may read this at home, says the company representative. Gracious, inhuman. We have all the time you need. I scan the assembly of letters and subheaders, the myriad list of enumerating exceptions, numerating nuances, delineating the exact dimensions of what is being offered and not. Everything. The company representative's voice croons inside my head. Everything for your everything. And Sarah won't have to pay anything? Not a memory, not a wisp of breath. Not a nodule of lymph. A chill bloats in my lungs, evoking the panic of a half-recalled drowning. I swallow, but it does nothing to cleanse my throat. In the recesses of my mind, images of Sarah come alive. Laughing, crying, begging, shouting. A thousand possible variants, a prism of memories. I push them down, down beneath a stratum of arguments and philosophical disagreements and pleading and... Please, please, please stay, Sarah. I can't do this without you. You have to- I'm done, Anissa. I swear, I'll do better this time. I'm the worst. Stay, I promise. I'm done. I need to go home. Ancient conquerors placed nations at the feet of their beloved. Surely, if I did the same, if I bent the world into someplace better, Sarah would love me again. Was she very beautiful? I exhale and blink. Sorry? Was she very beautiful? Your Sarah. My skin burns at the way it coils about her name, like a lover's mouth clenching around a finger. She must have been to drive you to this, to give your everything for her everything. Although we wonder, what did you do to her? Shut up, shut up, shut up! I regret my words instantly. The delight that blooms on its countenance nauseates, a slit cut through the call of its borrowed humanity. I swallow again, taste bile and blood, and turn my eyes to the contract. Everything for your everything, echoes the company representative's voice. Everything because you're my everything, I think, rolling the image of Sarah's smile in my mind, 
until it's only embers, only dust, only dark, endless and roiling like the viscera of the sea. Normally we would request that you sign with blood, but this time a kiss. I falter. What the fuck? It does not answer, does not smile, does not express any emotion or noise that could be construed as acknowledgement. The company representative only stands there, head cocked, eyes blank as cold glass. A kiss. It repeats, a hissing noise that loses itself in the scream of a passing train. It was all just a kiss, wasn't it? You and Sophia. All a fumbling of drunk fingers and shy smiles. All just kisses. I shiver. Let's just get this over with. There is no warning. Only an almost imperceptible displacement of air, like a sigh broken midway, before I discover the rasp of the company representative's tongue between my lips, granite dry. Not pleasant, but strange. A taste like salt, metal, and pale, sticky notes of caramel. And... Shh. It will hurt. But only for a second. A sliver of time too small to measure, too inconsequential to name. There will be pain, volcanic, but it will be nothing to the hallelujah of new beginnings. Yes. Do you feel it? The concrete scaling the stratosphere of your skull, the alleyways mapped to the cartography of your veins, the spires. Ah, how charmingly anachronistic, Anisa. We underestimated you. We did not know about the mythologies you carried in the tomb of your ribs, the flat of your imagination. We suspected, but we did not know that your soil was so rich, so lush. Close your eyes. Asphalt is always hot in the beginning, but its scalding caress will not last. Savor it if you can, the way it burns through your textured humanity, the way it fits across your thoughts, dark as nightfall. Oh, you are so fortunate. We cannot begin to describe our envy. In ours, you will be a goddess. Deep breaths, little wonder. Soon you will no longer need them. Instead, your lungs will consume hope, will expel the weak. You will be the death of worlds and the beginning of lives. You are so, so lucky. Generations will build themselves into the architecture of your intestines, and when they die, when they are replaced with better iterations, their bodies will decompose into your ambrosia. You will be eternal, beautiful. Are those canals? Oh, us! How avant-garde! We are so glad that you contracted our services instead of those of lesser caliber. The dime store wouldn't even begin to understand the complexities of your graffiti or the haze of spices floating from your weekend markets. No, they couldn't appreciate. Never, never, never. Not even the monolith could fully appreciate the beauty of the dawn as it runnels across your rooftops, butter and slithering rose, droplets of carnelian shot through with white. Oh, do not cry, precious thing. It will not hurt for long. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. Breathe. It hurts so much. Breathe deep. At some indeterminable point or another, the company representative's droning reassurances transmute from noise to truth. I wake gasping. The air is ice, so pure and clarified that it ignites new paroxysms of agony, sharper than the torture of transformation, but no less profound. I... Panic trills through the cobbled stones of my city, seismic, enough to dislocate a conclave of pigeons, but not to injure buildings still wet with afterbirth. I... No. Us? With a laugh that resounds like a gale, rattling the wooden slats in the historic district, I realize there is no pronoun to encapsulate the shape of my new being. I am reborn, reformed, disparate, immobile, alone, rooted to the earth, no more able to walk than I am to speak. How, how am I going to bring Sarah to my borders? 
Anger flashes hot and espresso dark, a bitterness that colors my walls to gray. It lied. The company lied. This is not what I wanted. How am I supposed to give this city to Sarah if I can't even find her? Furious, I scratch at the dirt outside my limits, but it's no more effective than firing spitballs at a truck. Nothing. You lied, I shout against the silence of my throat. No. We gave you what I want. A city of your design. It is everywhere, nowhere. Its voice is a noose of syllables, a texture in the air, echoing between the carefully partitioned shop lots, the heritage spots that will one day teem with tourists. How the hell am I going to win her back if I can't even contact her? I demand petulantly. A pang of caramel, sickly. Then... You only had to ask. The company representative emerges from the massive double doors of my only cathedral, white teeth bright in its opened mouth. Disgust ripples at the memory of its lips, the lukewarm slab of its tongue probing my throat. We demand that you do. We? You are already regarding yourself as a collective. We are so proud. It sighs gauzily. <sighs> but yes. Oh, yes. We will find her. We will find Sarah. We make no promises if she will be amenable, Anissa. But we will bring her here. And then, in the time it takes for an electric impulse to dance between neurons, it's gone. Soon after that, I am gone too. I stir. Sarah? She jolts at this caressing of her name, remade into a sensation rather than a pairing of vowels. I shake oblivion from myself, turn surveillance cameras onto her, black and gleaming like beetles. Sarah stands, ramrod straight, footing shore, unshakable. Her hair has been strangled into a decorous black plate. Only a few curls escape their confinement, softening the switchblade panels of her face. Her eyes are afraid. My longing to hold her, comfort her, sings through rusty hinges, through doors left ajar, a sound like a heart close to breaking. Sarah. This time, she recognizes me. Anissa? In another district, a park blooms out of season, Abattoir colors against neon green. Oh my god. Her face sags with realization. Oh my god. Oh my god. What have you done to yourself? Fucking hell, Anissa. I don't... Why? I wanted to show you. Show me what? Show me that you can make dumbass mistakes. You're... I don't even know where to start. I did this for you. The words tangle into a snarling cat noise, even as she knots fingers in her hair. Sarah slumps to the floor. This wasn't the way. I know you love me, but that doesn't mean everything else didn't happen. I'm tired. I'm tired and I need to go home. Just for a little while. Let me be that for you. We tried that. You stopped being home a long time ago. Only because you wouldn't let me. Look, this is better than London, isn't it? You can dictate the rules here, decide the paradigms. You could eat in any of the stores and no one, no one ever look at us twice. This place can be everything you need. I built this city for you, Sarah. For me. <laughs> Her voice loses volume. I watch through a thousand eyes and a million windows, eager to decipher pleasure in her expression. This is for me. Yes, I built all of it for you. Everything we ever loved, everything you ever exclaimed over. I remember all of it. I know you don't believe me, but I listen to you. I do. And this city, this city is proof. Anissa, her voice aches like an old scar. I just want us to be happy. Anissa. Fog rolls through my streets, coiling about her legs. Anissa, you have to stop. 
please. Do you... do you expect me to live here, alone? No, with me, as long as we're together. Anissa, I love you. I still... I love you, I do. But I don't think this is going to work. We're... I can't do this for you. I mean, this city... This city is what I'm talking about. What? This is everything you've wanted. Not me. I... I am everywhere and nowhere, dispersed into a conglomeration of parts, neighborhoods, and boroughs, chased by the grief that writes itself as jagged, thick-lined paintings on the bare bricks of my poorest districts. Sarah. Hold it together, Anissa. If I just hold on, if I just keep fighting, it would be okay. That's why we're here. That's why I've done this. And if she would just listen, she'd understand that we were meant to be together. That we were always meant to be together. And that it is as much her destiny to love me as it is mine to love her. And we cannot, will not, should not be apart. And this is... This is everything you taught me to appreciate, and it's beautiful, but it's what you want, and that's always been the case. It's always been what you want, and I can't... I just can't. I have to go. The word is a sledgehammer, knocking down my world, drowning out the subtle warmth of her. Dimly, I register Sarah's shape, small, breakable, wholly mine for this moment and perhaps only this moment alone, eyes fixed on a sky gone grey. Why, that was really our problem, you know. Not the damned city, not the immigration stuff, not even that stupid fucking girl. It's just that you never listened. I'm sorry. Sarah barks a strange, exhausted sigh. I've heard that so many, many times before. I'll change. No. I have to go, she says so softly, so gauzily, like the words weren't breaking me apart. And we both have to think about what we've done, and the mistakes we've made, and move on. We go on with our lives. No. Refusal is exhaust fumes and the rage of commuters, scorched rubber, the distant whine of an ambulance. No. I yank the streets from their stones, anguish salting them with hail. I build new intersections, new turns, new alleys, new places to go. Innumerable diversions, countless eateries. Sarah will never want for anything in my borders. I ignore her shriek of terror, the sounds that spill from her mouth, even as I lift myself into skyscrapers. Higher, higher. All she needs is time time to understand, to love me, to accept that we are meant together, meant to always be together. I built this city for her. The least she can do is stay. Cassandra Kaw is an award-winning game writer and the USA Today best-selling author of Nothing But Blackened Teeth. Their debut short story collection, Breakable Things, comes out in November. Wilson Foley lives in a suburb of Vancouver, Canada, and has been reading aloud since the age of four. His life has changed recently. He lost his wife to cancer, and he changed jobs from programming to recording voiceovers for instructional videos, which he loves doing, but not as much as he loved Heather. Clover Foley is a girl who seeks to make games and has practiced her voice for 15 of her 21 living years. The Kaleidocast is a production of the Brooklyn Speculative Fiction Writers. Our website is www.kaleidocast.nyc, where you can find links to all our contributors and more content to enjoy. This season's Kaleidocast production team was... Brad Parks, founder, CFO, and senior producer. Cameron Roberson, executive producer. Sandra Fink, managing producer. Christopher Lazarick, 
Managing Editor and Production Manager. Marcus Zong, Story Runner. Anton Borst, Editor, Producer, Sound Engineer, Host. Carlos Luis Delgado, Editor and Sound Engineer. Jason A. Smith, Editor, Sound Engineer, Actor. Sam Schreiber, Senior Producer, Senior Editor, Sound Engineer. Holden Lee, Editor, Producer, Sound Engineer. Jason Stack, Editor, Producer, Sound Engineer, Technical Officer. Marcy Arlen, Co-Founder, Associate Producer, Voice Actor, Director. Randy Dawn, Editor, Sound Engineer, Actor. Eric Rosenfield, Chief Technical Officer. S.J. Penderact, Associate Editor and Producer. I am McGuire, Associate Editor and Producer. Sadie Kleinman, Producer. Devansha Segel, Associate Editor, Producer, Actor. Katherine Erickson, Associate Editor. And a special thanks to Amachai Green. Our music is used by permission of Innova Recordings and the Harry Parch Foundation. This podcast uses many sound effects from YouTube, freesound.org, and from FreeSFX at freesfx.co.uk. The Kaleidocast and all its contents are protected by a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 National License. That means you can listen all you like, but don't sell or change it and give credit to the Kaleidocast and its authors in usage and reference. This episode has been brought to you by our generous Patreon subscribers whose support has meant the world to us. A special thank you to the Patreon subscribers who made this episode possible. Gary Benjamin Holt, Blue G, and La Brisa. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and sign up for more exclusive content at patreon.com slash kaleidocastnyc. Oh, my God.